From the pandemic to virtual learning, students are stressed. According to a 2021 survey by the CDC, 44% of teenagers said they struggle with feelings of sadness or hopelessness. That's an increase from 39% in 2019. With the start of school on the horizon, many parents are concerned about their children's mental health. So what conversations should parents be having with kids as school gets back in session? Last night, WBEZ held a panel discussion with mental health professionals to answer questions gathered from caregivers. You can find a recording on WBEZ's YouTube page. Joining me now are two panelists from the event. Dr. Tara Gill is a psychologist at Lurie's Children for Childhood Resilience and an assistant professor at Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Gill. Thank you for having me. Also with this is Lucia Del Rincon Martinez, trauma therapist at La Rabita Children's Hospital. Hi, Lucia. Hi, thanks for having us. We're also taking your questions and comments at 866-915-WBEZ. Dr. Gill, what are the main stressors you're hearing from children related to school? Well, back to school can be an exciting time, but it also can be filled with um, normative worries. But at a time like this, post-pandemic, some anxieties. Uh, There's anxiety about safety, uh, physical and emotional safety. Um, There's also um, anxiety about uh, disaster drills and um, what that might be like, and essentially the disruption of routine that happened over the last two years has made uh, youth have more challenges with um, knowing what will be in place and what will be shifting as we learn to deal with this new norm of epidemiological crisis. Chicago Public Schools starts on Monday. There are other districts that have already started. But for CPS families, what kind of conversations do you think parents and caregivers should be having with children before school starts on Monday? Dr. Gill. Well, I think it would be important for families to establish what are the routines that they will put in place for the school year that may look a little different than the summer and may even look different than pre-pandemic times. Um, It also will be important to open um, dialogue with your children in terms of establishing a safe space inside of the home to have conversations and a safe time, um, whether that's dinner time or commuting time um, to and from school and after school activities, but doing your best to be able to um, foreshadow what are some changes and giving them the right amount of time to prepare themselves. So really giving a sense of normalcy and routine. And that reminds me of a friend, friends who tell me that they give their TED Talks <laughs> to their children on the drive to school, that that's the time that they have with them to have these kind of discussions that you're talking about. Great. Uh, Lucia, puberty is something parents have trouble navigating. How can you tell if a child's changing behavior are warning signs that they're not doing well mentally versus symptoms of puberty? I think um, parents are the experts of their own children, right? So um, checking in on your child and noticing what those patterns look like, um, checking with pediatricians to see um, is your child reaching puberty? Like, what does that look like for your child? What's going on? Um, They're the experts on on that element of it. Um, I think if you're trying to differentiate between puberty versus other mental health issues, um, just explaining and normalizing puberty to your kids so that they know that they there are big feelings associated with that sometimes, and it's a a tough stage of life. Um, And then just being on the lookout for any signs of 
um, any crisis in your kids or um, anything that might be going on that seems to track differently than the signs of puberty. And what are some of those warning signs that parents can look out for? Yeah, I think um, the big ones we think of are obviously signs of like self-harm or suicidal ideation are are really big ones in in kids at that age. And so um, if your child is becoming more withdrawn, um, is acting differently than they than they have been acting. Those are, are really big crisis signs. Hopefully we're checking in with our kids before before we get there so that we're looking for signs of anxiety or depression or, or things like that that might be a little bit more common um, in your child. We're taking your calls about the students in your life. What questions do you have for these mental health professionals? Give us a call at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. Dr. Gill, a question that came up frequently in the panel last night was, mental health isn't taken seriously in my community. How can I overcome those cultural barriers and get my child help? What advice do you have for those parents? So culturally, I think it's important to explore what stigmas may be in place. Sorry, I'm going to go. It may important to think about what stigmas are in place um, for your community, um, whether those stigmas are to keep family business private or whether those stigmas are related to um, what respect might look like. For example, if, if a child is being reared by an older parent or a grandparent, there may be um, messages about respect, so not questioning. And so the idea of having an open dialogue may look like disrespect. Um, In terms of mental health, um, sometimes young people are more familiar with talking about mental health than the adults. Mm -hmm. Um, Adults are kind of new to the mental health game in terms of being open. Um, If you think about when you were in school, there were not as many messages about healthy relationships or social and emotional learning being part of the curriculum in a classroom. And so it's important to recognize that youth are ready and able to have these conversations, but they may not be the ones that are equipped to initiate that. And that is the role of adults um, in order to establish a safe environment, bringing different people in and also modeling that it's okay to talk about feelings, um, to talk about um, when you're not feeling safe, And I think that those are just great messages to impart to youth, regardless of which cultural background you belong to. Lucia, how can parents or caregivers get help from professionals? What's the first step? Yeah, I think there's a lot of resources out there. I think connecting with the resources you already have in your school. um, They have behavioral health teams, connecting with um, your primary care providers. um, They can kind of point you in the right direction of what type of care you might need, um, any other supports you have. If you do have access to insurance, um, your insurance company can help lead you to uh, what your insurance covers. um, And those are great places to start. Dr. Gill, in my experience, even if you do have the resources to get help for your child, there's an insane waiting list to get a therapist. What if the situation is urgent and you can't wait? Um, So that's a good uh, point. So I think it's important to, um, when you mentioned waiting lists, uh, in order to seek mental health services, you may have to have your child on multiple waiting lists. Um, You may have um, to establish a good and strong and even 
different type of relationship you may have had in the past with your child's primary care provider, that pediatrician, letting them know that there are some mental health concerns and even having a plan in place ahead of time if you see things worsening. Um, you always can talk with people from school if it is a school year, really prompting them whether there's a counselor or a social worker or school psychologist in your building. If they are, really tapping into them as a resource for local support. And then if there's a acute crisis, there are always things like uh, emergency rooms if there are more intensive needs and services. But this is why um, at the Center for Childhood Resilience, we really promote the idea of equipping adults in their capacity um, to be able to serve as outlets for young people. So bringing those mental health services into schools so that they can get help earlier down the line before things become acute. If there isn't Uh, an imminent crisis, but a child still needs help. What other resources, you know, besides the school, um, is there literature? Are there resources that you tell people to read or any kind of exercises online? What what else is out there? Well, as I mentioned um, earlier, uh, schools are now teaching children uh, social and emotional skills um, for uh, learning how to cope with stress and learning how to manage stress. Uh, Schools are bringing more and more uh, community providers in to help with um, being able to teach those as basic frontline defenses. Um, There's also um, something in Chicago Public Schools called behavioral health teams, which which is a team that has multidisciplinary adults involved to be able to uh, assess screen and assign kids to the right type of services. Those are always very helpful. Um, And in in those, they might match them to a school-based intervention. Um, And then lastly, you have resources like crisis lines, um, text lines. Um, There are um, reading materials that are out there and may be out there that you can um, likely access from your school or your mental health agency as well. Yeah, my daughter's public school has social emotional learning embedded in the curriculum. So they have something every single day with a counselor as a classroom. What a great practice. I want to throw the number out again, 866-915-WBEZ, 866-915-WBEZ. I want to share some advice. One panelist from last night, Brian Coleman, a counselor at Jones College Prep, a CPS high school, gave to parents who are unsure about what resources are available in schools. Let's take a listen. You don't know where to start. You don't know who's doing what. Well, if your school's got a counselor, you can at least start their questions there. And if they're not the direct service provider, they can connect you to the people that are. Lucia, how can parents advocate for their child? Um, Yeah, I think uh, Brian actually referred to this last night, like standing up for your kid, um, getting all up in the school's business, I think are the words he used, right? (laughs) Um, And making sure you... um, you're advocating for your child because those resources do exist. It's just a matter of getting them. Um, and so I think knowing that they're out there um, and just looking for them and pushing until um, you get your child on those wait lists, get your child into those offices um, and get them the help they need. 
This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. And we're talking about student mental health with Dr. Tara Gill from Lurie Center for Childhood Resilience and Lucia Del Ricone Martinez from La Rabita Children's Hospital. And reminder, we want to know if you have any questions about creating a mentally healthy learning environment for the young students in your life. 866-915-WBEZ is the number. One more time, that's 866-915-WBEZ. Lucia, the school environment looks very different now. Um, I pass notes with friends, and now there's social media. Um, is there an oversatura- oversaturation of bad news that can be stressful? And what tips do you have? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I think even the parents that are limiting that media exposure at home, kids are, are getting it in the classroom and hearing about it in other places. Um I think checking in with your child is so important, even if you think your child didn't hear about something big that happened. Um, there are a lot of big things happening in the world right now. Um, making sure you're checking in and answering the questions they have, asking the questions they have, just because they're not asking questions does not mean they don't have questions. Um, so it's important to make sure you're attuned to what your child has been exposed to. We did get a question from Libby in Rogers Park. She's no longer on the line, but she says she has a three-year-old with developmental delays. How to get her support she needs without potentially exposing her to illness such as monkeypox or COVID is her concern. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of providers out there that can help with developmental delays. Um, There's a lot of providers that do work in healthcare systems, like I work at a hospital, and I think Um, We're really attuned to what is going on and still using safety measures in place for those things. Dr. Gill, in particular, I want to focus on the very real danger of school shootings. Many schools are adapting their protocols in the wake of the Uvalde mass shooting. In most schools, you know, really, if you're urban, suburban or rural, there is some sort of active shooter drill. How do you deal with that, especially with children who are on the younger side? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, there's always going to be some level of anxiety when you think about the drills and what you're trying to protect your child from. Um, but I think the preparedness is more important than facing the crisis without having practiced how do you keep yourself safe. So that safety has emotional components and it also has physical components. And the adults as well as the children need to be able to know what their role is in terms of a crisis and really what are the next step of protocols that may extend into the home. Um, So that may be, um, even if there's a drill that happens at school, what can the parent do to help ease that anxiety that the the child may be facing, maybe talking about that that might have been scary, validating their experience, but then also being able to think about, well, let's talk about what might happen if something happened and you were in home or in the community and who are those people that help you to feel safe. Um, It's also okay for adults to model and teach children about um, safety, social skills, mind and body breathing, um, and not only at school, but you can also practice and implement those activities at home as well. What do you think about how to talk about children who are really on the younger side? Because these are these are conversations that I think would go through K through 12. But we use the word resilient a lot with kids. And while that's true, I wonder, do the parents have more anxiety than the kids? Are we stressing them out by asking them the questions? Um, you know, what is what is the balance with that? 
Well, I often think about families needing to understand what their values are and being able to make sure that your children understand and feel your value, but also they are going to pick on pick up on whatever it is that you are experiencing. So the idea of modeling safety, modeling that emotional sense of I have positive coping strategies will really um, cross over into their children. So whether that is imparting reading materials or um, being mindful of what you expose them to in terms of literature, videos, um, being able to limit, as uh, Lucia mentioned, that social media that's going to increase their anxiety, being able to really set good boundaries. Lucy, it's also important to acknowledge there are students in our city who witness violence much more frequently. What tips do you have as a trauma therapist? Yeah, I think I, I keep saying this, but just checking in with your kids' emotions, like how are they feeling? Are there different patterns in their behavior? If something did happen, um, what are there any symptoms there? What are the symptoms? Is it impairing them and distressing them to a point where it's affecting school, it's affecting home, it's affecting their social life? And then at that point, um, you need to look for resources for your child. Um, but I think just checking in with your with your kid and, and making sure they have space to talk about what is happening in their community is so important. Dr. Gill, what about a kid who might be reluctant to get care? What should you do? Should you force them? Uh, I think if you think parallel to a physical condition, you wouldn't necessarily force a child to do something that's going to make them feel uncomfortable. But if there's a risk of them becoming worse or acutely ill, you would think about how to negotiate that, but to make it happen. And so I think with parents, um, sometimes the fear of the unknown will cause children to regress or be resistant, but it's really ultimately a family decision about care. Um, So the same way if a child had asthma, you would want them to get a backup inhaler, some prevention strategies. You will also want, if your kid has some type of mental health presentation, some prevention strategies, but also a method of care that may include uh, things that they haven't tried before, which may be the cause of the anxiety. We've been speaking to Dr. Tara Gill, psychologist at Lurie Center for Childhood Resilience and assistant professor at Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine, and Lucia Del Ricon Martinez, a trauma therapist at La Rabita Children's Hospital. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.